0: Volume 1, Chapter 8, of Evelyn, or A Heart Unmasked, a novel by Anna Cora Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 8 Je suis sage mais plus sévère, philosophie mais amoureux. Hubert d'Amoureux to Frederick Ruthven new york december seventh here i am fred in the great city of gotham and you may forthwith give up all idea of my joining you in washington for the present hmm some new entanglement i hear you exclaim precisely so my dear fellow What else could you expect from the wretched ennuié with whom you parted company two months ago? A man must live, and it is my maxim that he should live not as fast, but as much as he can, that is, collect and concentrate into the small space of his life as much enjoyment as is practicable or possible. What the plague are our five senses good for unless we can inhale pleasure through every one of them and create around us an atmosphere of exhilarating delight. I have tried to do with these five fine senses of mine all that could be done by way of cultivating and gratifying them to the utmost. And yet I fall victim to ennui oftener than the moon changes. There are a great many good things in the world, but there is one better than all, worth all the rest melted down into an essence that could be sucked in like exhilarating gas. The garden was a-wild, and man the hermit sighed till woman smiled you know my old failing a pretty face and a pair of bright eyes give me no inclination to become an anchorite but i have grown fastidious of late the finest taste is palled by overfeasting, and susceptibility itself becomes unsusceptible through unlimited use once upon a time but my stiff and thrifty beard was downy then i would reply spontaneously to every sweet feminine mode of warfare but now i find myself too often equally insensible to the flash that lightens boldly through the shadowy lash and the sly stealing splendors almost hid like swords half sheathed beneath the downcast lid something new and peerless and supremely fascinating can alone penetrate the amorous indifference in which my heart against my will has entrenched itself but to the point for i suppose you suspect that the armor has lately been proved vulnerable i have surrendered without even staging a siege laid down my arms cried pecavi and permitted myself to be taken prisoner but such a jailer. I may well exclaim with the imprisoned corsair, methinks my jailer's face shows wondrous fare. By the by, the quotation is, for more reasons than one, not all inappropriate. The beautiful Evelyn is hardly less dazzling, less impassioned, less ardent, than the fiery and voluptuous Gulnare. Then, like Gulnare, she is another's and owns a lord whom, I think, she neither loves nor hates, although in all other feelings she is ever in extremes. I have studied women so long and so scientifically that I know their signs, and may, without vanity, pride myself on a certain faculty in reading their characters, for I seldom find myself in error. This Evelyn is the most piquant, the most bewitched creature that in all my wanderings I have ever encountered, at least I think so now, although I plead guilty to having thought the same of some dozen fair ones before. Such lips, rich, fresh, pouting with stealthy invitations, such hair, not shining merely reflecting a focus of sunbeams such eyes but their color i never could discover for they change from blue to brown from brown to black with every meteor-like flash that darts from beneath their lids "'Oh, where's the heart so wise "'could unbewildered meet those matchless eyes, "'quick, restless, strange, but exquisite withal, "'like those of angels just before their fall? "'That description was certainly written for Evelyn, "'or rather Evelyn was formed to suit the description. "'Then her hands and her feet are so fairy-like.' I never could endure the most divine-looking hebe if she had not dimpled hands, taper rose-tipped fingers, filbert nails, Cinderella feet, and ankles to match. Do not suppose that, like a youth enamored for the first time, I am going to rhapsodize all day over her perfections, although I must mention one more, her laugh. Do you know that my heart has, two or three times, regained its freedom at the sound of a woman's laugh? Evelyn's is almost the only laugh I have ever heard that was perfectly musical and full of unmingled joyousness. The freshness of her spirit speaks forth in its tone. Yet this fair Evelyn, whom I have described as so matchless in her loveliness, possesses not all the charms that a few years will give her. I can only compare her to some luscious fruit that is grown in the shade and is yet unripened. Let the vernal sun shine upon the fruit and it is mellowed, its flavor enriched and its hue deepened. So let the hot sun of passion touch Evelyn and... But you can conceive what resemblance she would bear to the fruit. As yet her heart is in its virginity. There are a thousand springs unsealed within it. A thousand feelings unawakened that wait but the talismanic touch of love to spring to life. Her husband, Mr. Merritt is a fine gentlemanly fellow rather inclined to uxoriousness, but too sensible to make himself ridiculous by becoming jealous the manner in which i became acquainted with evelyn is somewhat curious but chance has always made me her favorite and i thank her for her preference always taking due advantage of her partiality one morning about a week after you left me I felt remarkably dull and ennuié, and was just locking up my dressing-case after determining to leave New Orleans that very day, when I overheard an angry altercation in the entry near my door. "'You must come with us, sir,' said a voice in a tone of authority." how dare you address such language to me do you know who i am sir take off your hands or i shan't think too much of exterminating you i'll teach you to know a gentleman when you have the luck to see one if you can't discharge this little account you must come along with us and unless you can give bail you will be sent to prison and that's the short and long of it a scuffle ensued drowning the indignant reply of which could catch but a word or two i opened my door more to seek diversion than from curiosity and beheld a most curious-looking individual vigorously struggling with a couple of constables and crying out Let me tell you that I am a gentleman. Do you take me for a loafer? I belong to one of the highest families in New York. I'd have you know that. This insult won't pass unnoticed. The oddity of the young man's appearance amused me. I have sometimes strange impulses and would give any price for a new sensation. This new sensation I produced in myself and paid for by quixotically defending this odd individual and paying his bill. He canceled his indebtedness by calling me a gentleman, an independent fellow, and his noble benefactor. This last term, I candidly confess, induced me to carry out my philanthropy by inviting him into my room. He immediately placed himself on the most familiar footing with me. And in a very roundabout way, in alluding his narrative with parentheses, told me his story. I learnt from this relation that his name was Willard that he was a New Yorker of family, as he termed it, that he had a beautiful sister, not 17, who was lately married to a wealthy merchant, that this new brother-in-law had paid his expenses to Texas, as I infer to get rid of him, that in Texas he felt like a fish out of water, and that the burden of his song was home, sweet home, that he determined to return but his funds not holding out he had walked from natchitoches to new orleans intending to trust his luck for further provision in spite of this fact with almost idiotic improvidence he had took up lodgings at the saint charles as you are aware the most expensive hotel here In all probability, he was fearful of losing his character as a gentleman if he contented himself with the humbler accommodations. I was so much diverted at this narration, the strange style in which it was delivered, and the unquestionable originality of young Willard, not to mention his enthusiastic description of his sister, that I really committed the absurdity of inviting him to become my traveling companion. We made the journey to New York together, and I never once regretted my choice of compagnon de voyage, for my friend is the most admirable buffoon, and kept me alive the whole way. When we arrived in New York, it was necessary that we should part company, as I did not relish being joined in Broadway by a person of so doubtful appearance as Richard Willard Esquire, of constable memory. I found the greatest difficulty in cutting his acquaintance. If I affected great coldness of manner, he would very innocently inform me that I was in the dumps or ask me what crochet I had in my head. When I politely requested him to excuse me, stating that I desired to be alone, he assured me that he would not, in the slightest degree, interrupt my occupations, that he was a deep thinker, liked to get a quiet moment for reflection, etc., etc., and forthwith gravely ensconced himself in an armchair, "'and commenced his meditations. "'I was on the point, as a last resource, "'of quarrelling with him, "'when a lady of most surpassing beauty "'was one afternoon pointed out to me in the street. "'I discovered that her name was Mrs. Merritt, "'formerly Miss Willard. "'This, then, was the matchless Evelyn, "'my curious friend's sister.' the sister of richard willard my travelling buffoon i could hardly believe my senses i was soon convinced that i was not in error and instantly changed my mind about cutting my quondam friend the next time we met i accepted his proposition to introduce me to his mother and provided richard with a suitable wardrobe for the purpose I must mention, by way of illustrating his character, that this wardrobe in less than a week found its way piecemeal to the pawnbrokers, and Richard again appeared in the cast-off suit of some obliging friend. I found Mrs. Willard a very ladylike, agreeable, worldly woman, not at all deficient in the savoir-faire necessary to making an appearance in society. Her oldest daughter has a twisted spine, an interesting face, and a pleasing voice. But Evelyn, the second, with whom I have more lately become acquainted, Evelyn, so peerless and so perfect. The deuce take it, Fred, I wish you were in love, so that sympathy might give you patience when I sit, wearying my hearer in my mistress's praise." Next to falling in love, you most oblige me by letting me choose the object of which you are to become enamored. Take a trip to Charleston and seek out a bewitching little French girl, or rather half Italian and half French, called Claudine. You will find her dwelling with an old deaf grand dame in a small white cottage, embowered with fine trees just without the city a most romantic retreat the cottage by the way was one of my own choice i purchased it for claudine's accommodation about six months ago i was then in a state of delectable infatuation but the illusion was gradually dispelled my heart consequently disenthralled and i informed claudine that an unavoidable business engagement would separate us she is a fiery little creature and had been fool enough to run away from old father at my solicitation when i talked of even a temporary separation her grief and indignation became so violent that it bordered on madness once or twice i pacified her by promising to remain But as I have no taste for a virago style of beauty, my chains daily grew heavier, and I determined to free myself of their weight. One morning, before she was awake, I left the house in Charleston an hour afterwards. My trunks and baggage were left behind that her suspicions might not be aroused. "'I have not heard of Claudine since, "'but took care that she should not trace me, "'for she is quite capable of making the attempt. "'As I have some latent tenderness for the little fool, "'I should not be at all unwilling to consign her to your care. "'If you have no better amusement on hand, "'a trip to Charleston may benefit your health.' I must once more repeat that you may give up all hope of seeing me in Washington at present. It is doubtful how long I may remain in New York. Should you make up your mind to join me here, my headquarters are in the Astor House. Capital living here, my dear fellow. Stetson never kept a better table than he does this autumn. I make a point of eating 365 good dinners every year, and should consider myself cheated out of one of the principal, necessary, and allowable enjoyments of life if I had to swallow a bad one. Upon my word, I can't conceive of any reason why a man should not cultivate his taste as well as any other of his senses. It is my creed that a person cannot really possess refined intellectual taste unless the perception of his palate is quick and delicate. It is a national fault with us Americans that we feed instead of eating. A Frenchman makes the knowledge of la cuisine, a regular study, part of his education, one of the necessary accomplishments. And he is right. A neglected sense is like a diamond worn in the pocket. A man might as well be without it. Apropos of la cuisine, I tried my own hand in cooking mutton at the Astor yesterday and concocted the most delicious dish that you ever tasted. There was Matthews and Moffat and Pearson and Walters, They were all dining with me and would touch nothing else. I sent for a chafing dish and cut the mutton in thin slices, rare. Remember that the mutton must be rare. Poured a little gravy in the chafing dish and added about two wine glasses of filter croton water. Never drink water unless it is filtered then laid in its slices of mutton, added three large spoonfuls of currant jelly, and stirred the whole together with a couple of glasses of sherry, two of port, and two of champagne. The wicks were lit, and I cooked the mutton, slowly turning it twice in a minute. The odorous flavor of the steam that floated about my dilated nostrils every time I lifted the cover made my mouth water, as it does now at the recollection. Be sure you try it. I intend to be designated as Mouton à la damaro for the recipe is of my own invention. Indeed, I may call it an improvisation, and a most successful one it was fare thee well and consider thyself indebted to thy friend for thy tomorrow's good dinner it is just about the hour when i shall find my evelyn at home and her spouse not yet Louis. so i must even bid you adieu yours very faithfully hubert dameron End of chapter 8